If you've been listening to my show, you know that the importer on the back of the bottle is one of the surest ways to guarantee a quality bottle of wine. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about Taub Family Selections. Taub Family Selections is a dynamic, fourth-generation, family-owned wine import company with a truly incredible portfolio of fine wines from 11 countries. These wines not only embody the unique terroir in which they are produced, but the passion and integrity of each family member involved from vineyard to table. Notable estates include Mastro Berardino, Bertani, Travellini, Ferrari, Coldorcia, Trimbach, Jean-Luc Colombo, Jean-Michel Jarin, among many other renowned producers. They also have from Bordeaux, Lafitte Rothschild from the left bank, and on the right bank, they have Chateau Lafleur. I'm telling you, these guys have it all. To find out even more, go to TaubFamilySelections.com. That's T-A-U-B, FamilySelections.com. Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey everybody, what's up? It's your boy MJ and welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is an entrepreneur, author, wine critic, social media mogul, and self-proclaimed future owner of the New York Jets. <laughs> welcome to the podcast, Gary Vaynerchuk, a.k.a. Gary V. What's up, Gary? Things are good. Thank you for having me on. Awesome. Gary was born in Belarus and he immigrated with his parents to the U.S. in 1978. He began his entrepreneurial journey on YouTube, reviewing wines from his father's New Jersey wine store, the Wine Library, growing the business from $3 million to $60 million. Uh, he's the chairman of VaynerX that holds media properties and technology companies, including his own VaynerMedia, which is a social media-focused digital ad agency. He's earned immense success in the social media and emerging tech worlds. He was an early investor in Twitter and today is one of the largest NFT advocates, uh, as well as predicting the rise of many platforms that we're relying on today. And also he is an author. How many books have you written now, bro? I've written seven books, one wine book and six business books. That's what's up. Um, welcome, Gary. Thanks Thank again, you. again. Thank yeah. you. Tell us what uh, we're drinking this afternoon. We're doing a little day drinking. We're doing a little day drinking. You know, we've been working on trying to put this together for a long time. Yeah. And so when I went to the wine fridge, I'm like, you know, this is kind of special. We've been really trying to do this. So, uh, Shab, JL Shab, you know, Jean Louis Shab, La Hermitage, 2015, big time wine. I'm a I'm a big Rhone guy. I think they're. You know, I was I was very hot that Burgundy was underpriced when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And my thesis, because I'm a businessman, right. my thesis right. was Robert Parker's the most important mm -hmm. in the late 90s. He's banned from Burgundy because there was some shit that went down. And because of that, Burgundy's are underpriced. They don't, there's not that many bottles, but it was all Bordeaux in California at this point in the wine world. A little bit of Italy as well, Super Tuscans. So then that happened, that played out. I made a lot of my wine collector customers at Wine Library a lot of money and a lot of happiness to be able to buy the Bergs they were buying in the late 90s, early 2000s at the prices they were and then that, that thing exploded. Then in the mid 2000s, even late 2000s, kind of right as I was transitioning to the next part of my career, 
I thought Barolo was underpriced. Same thing, mm-hmm. same mm-hmm. basic thing, which is, you know, there's not that many bottles. They're incredibly well made, and once again, the the wine press was changing. Parker loved Piedmont, but was starting to get to the end of his career. You know, blogs like you know uh, podcasts like yours, blogs, Instagram the era of the two main wine critics, mm-hmm, Parker mm-hmm. and Spectator, and then Ancillary, Tanzer, other things, I knew was on the way out. The era was about to change, and I thought Barolo could pop, and it did. It's hard to call Shav underpriced. It's expensive wine. Yeah, no, it's... it's <laughs> that, <laughs> but, <laughs> that being said, I do think Northern Rhone Colt wines are still underpriced in the way I saw in Burgundy and the way that I saw in... in Piedmont and specifically Barolo and so between that and the fact that I was just wanting to try it myself mm-hmm. and see where it's at yeah. and then wanted to make you smile and, and enjoy something nice. Well, I love Rhone wines. I'm I'm uh I would say I'm a little bit more of a Southern Rhone guy. Mm-hmm. Um I love shout enough to pop. Me um, too. I'm, I love Southern Rhone. Yeah. Yeah. I think people are more educated on Southern Rhone. Yeah. Like, even my casual wine friends, they're like, oh, that Shatnuff the Pop thing. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. You start talking to them about co roti. Yeah. And they're like, what are you, what? Yeah. But then I love, you know, Northern Rhone Whites. I love Condru, you know. Coolerone is crazy. Um, and I agree, they're, they're still undervalued. Like, the equivalent wine from Bordeaux or Burgundy. Or California coal wine. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, ca- Scarecrows and Schmarecrows yeah. and, you know, like... They're expensive. They're, they're, it's supply and demand right. and education. But when you think about how many bottles of Joseph Phelps insignia right. are made, right. right? How many bottles of, you know, Chateau Lafitte are made. Right. It, it leaves for an arbitrage. And, and I think once people, and you know, it's funny, it was that NBA All-Star weekend this weekend. Uh, my wife saw you. She said, isn't that your guy? <laughs> <laughs> and I went, I went to, an event, and I'm watching Chris Paul, Dwayne Wade, Carmelo, Fat and this is Joe, yeah, and they're and this Mary is all J. right, mm-hmm. and this is all well documented at this point. But like, you know, for 46 year old me who's very into wine, who knew what Shav was at 16 years old, mm-hmm. to watch the last 30 years from nobody thinking wine was cool to the coolest right. athletes and right. musicians in the world, not not. Oh, Gary, I'll have a glass of wine. I had a 15-minute conversation about Latash with four of the best basketball players in the world. Yeah. That's insane to me yeah. and is and is just really exciting that we're finally in that part of the wine journey. Yeah, yeah. That's popular, really cool. Popular culture. Yep, it is. I mean, we had J.J. Redick on the podcast. He knows so much about Burgundy. It, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. You know, and uh, he's talked about the bubble and how him and Mello had just shared a bottle of wine, had this incredible three-hour conversation, you know, and and what it does. uh, It's a relationship. Yeah. I mean, we've all known this, right? Like, to me, some of the best relationships of my – some of the best conversations of my life – and big shout-out to Andre Mack, who, you know, I grew up with in the game. Talk about black guy in the wine game, right? He was pioneering from Houston then to per se here – and I saw him at the event and it was just like the best feelings. And what I was about, why I just thought of him is some of the best conversations of my life were in the 2005 to 2007 era of like when I was really starting to make noise with my wine career, 
maybe even a little bit later, 2006 to 2009, and all the sommeliers that mattered in the city were young mm-hmm. and kind of on the come up. Those 11 p.m. to two in the morning spotted pig drinking real wine combos are just like the fondest of memories for me. Yeah. On par with the combos I had with the Mark Zuckerbergs and Travis's from Uber and Kevin Rose's and Dave Morton's and Kevin Collins, like my tech world, and on par with the kind of combos I'm having now on Zoom at one in the morning with the Web3 NFT crew. You just know when there's a pocket. Mm-hmm. You know? You watch the documentaries about like 85 hip hop. Yep. Right? You watch the documentaries of like, when there's just a punk rock in the mm-hmm, late 70s mm-hmm, here in New York, mm-hmm, there's just always these moments where you can see the individuals who are forming rock in California, right? Mamas and Papas and that whole crew, Fleetwood Mac, like, they're, you know, uh, the film guys, right? Scorsese and fucking, right. you know, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, and they're right. all part of the same crew, and they're all young, and they're all eating bad food in a shitty apartment, but they all can see it, and and I... I genuinely remember, and now when I see the wine world, the stat, like the people that people are like, oh, that's the serious wine people. I just remember them all as kids working their way up the New York, and when people would come into town, other wine scenes as guys and gals on the floor, and it's just really fun. It's really fun, and that's that. I'll tell you why that was a special time for everybody who's listening. If you're not of the age, and it. You won't understand this, but if you are over 40 years old you'll ve- and you've been into wine, you definitely know this. From 1987, 88, to 2015, the Wine Spectator and Robert Parker dominated America's point of view on wine. Yep. And I don't think that's a bad thing. It was just the thing. That's, yep. that right. was the whole, and that was the, for everybody listening, that was my entire career. My, enti- my career started in 1990, as a kid on the floor, but very quickly started reading those magazines all the way to when I kind of started segueing and building VaynerMedia with my brother, which started in 2009, and I went full-time in 2011. So I was very affected. Right. So when I started to see the internet becoming what it was becoming, and Wine Library TV was pioneering that. Mm-hmm. That was my legacy at, at one point. I knew that I was onto something, but it was bigger than that. Yes, I knew I was starting to gain a lot of leverage and heat, and I started hearing from wineries in 2007, 8, 9, that a review on my show was selling more than a Spectator or Parker review, so I knew I was onto something, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I knew it was way bigger than me. I was like, cool, I'm one guy. It's gonna lead to what we're, you know, we're sitting right now right. in what I saw right. in 2006, and that feels amazing. Yeah, it's pretty crazy thinking about um, cause I used to work, I worked, uh, briefly at Sparrow in Hoboken in 99, yes. at 99 with Armando and Mike. I love those guys. And I just remember, um, hearing your names like, Oh, you know, Gary V is going to sell wine on the internet. This was 99. Like yeah. you were, people don't even realize how far back you were like, Nope, I'm selling wine online. That's right. You know, that's right. Launched winelibrary.com in 96, 90, built it in 96, launched in 97. Mm-hmm. And to your point by 99, I started 99, yeah, I was already running full page ads in the New York Times. Mm-hmm. We were starting to make noise. Yep. We were selling Insignia at $39.99 when the market was $59.99. Yep. Yep. Full page ads. So yes, that was when I was just starting to really make and noise. And we're talking like pre-wine.com. Like he, yep. had, he got the drop on all these fucking websites. Like he had the drop on them, you know, um, which is just so cool. Uh, which, which I have a question because you're famous for saying uh, standardized education is not your thing, right? Yeah. Like clearly you are a visionary. How did you um, 
take what people like in that world, you share it all the time, but like you weren't a good student and, and look at how successful you are now. And like who you, who, how you've influenced the wine world, how you're influencing social media, how you're influencing tech. Like you didn't, you, you're not, you're not a Harvard dropout or Stanford, all these guys, like, no. but you're at the table with them. Because I, and this is very important for everybody who's listening. Look, I, I, first of all, I think education's the most important thing in the world. I'm on the board of Pencils of Promise. I fly to Ghana and literally like wanna see where the schools that I'm helping build are because for a kid in Ghana, if you don't have a school nearby, you're gonna get educated by the goodness of the heart of an eldersman in town under a tree with one book. Mm. And that's a challenge. So in Ghana, in Guatemala, in Laos, where we build schools, that's education. Mm -hmm. In an advanced first world country empire like America that is that when capitalism is done right is great and when capitalism is done wrong is not great. I, you know, and we have a very woke, amazing kind of like comp we have a lot of friction politically. Yeah. I'm laughing. The most fucked up thing is college. <laughs> the business of like everyone's Dude. mad at certain things, yep. and they should be. Yep. There's so many great things we're tackling. Me too, and and Black Lives Matter. There's so much good stuff we're tackling. I'm out here like, yo, one universal thing we should tackle together is you can't declare bankruptcy for your student from loans. Student loans. You could literally defraud everybody you know. Yep. Declare bankruptcy and start again. Yep. Like be a felon. Right. Clean your shit. It's a racket, yep. and here's why it's a racket. There's not a 19 fucking year old on earth that won't tell you if you put them in the corner and ask them, they're not learning shit. Yep. The information's garbage, it's not catching up. And I listen, I'm not here to hurt feelings. If you're an educator, if you're a parent that's ideology is like college, 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 I have so much empathy for that. I don't think I, don't think I have to be right, I, but I, boy, do I have a passion for this. Because I'm watching unbelievable amounts of kids get out of school, have 30, 40, 20, 70, 90, $100,000 in debt at a ridiculous interest rate. And in 1974 and 1984, you got out of college, that paper puts you on. Yep. If you went to Indiana right, and right. you got it right and you had yep. a degree, well, there was only every company in America yep. was like, we will hire you. Right. You have the biggest companies in the world that don't even ask for that. We don't, we don't require. College, well, I have no idea what college anybody that works for you, we don't require it, we don't ask for it, and forget about little old VaynerMedia, Google, Facebook, like, it's changing. Mm -hmm. It's changing fast, and it's something I'm concerned about. Um, I, let's take me. I was getting D's and F's all of high school, but every weekend at in Springfield, New Jersey, I was reading Stephen Tanner's International Wine Cellar mm -hmm. cover to cover. Mm -hmm. Cover to cover. I was learning what Syrah and Grenache do in the, the Rhone region of France. Oh, by the way, that was important for me. Right. Because that's what I was gonna do for a living. Right. We got away from vocational high schools. Exactly. Right? When education was first set up, it was a little different. In the 50s and 60s, when, when they saw a kid like me and they're like, you're not gonna be a scholar, they would throw me into auto body shop right. or beauty or like, or they would do something. They right. would throw me into, and we didn't, we don't have anything for entrepreneurs nope. and creatives. Nope. We have bullshit art classes. We have bullshit fucking wood shop classes. We have bu bullshit film classes. 
on a, like, and when I say bullshit, we have incredible film, art, and woodshop teachers, mm -hmm. but there's not a high school in America that's in the normal system that puts that stuff on a pedestal. Mm -hmm. It's an alternative. It's to fill it out. It's checking the box. It's not the passion of a standard. Sure, there's specialty schools. LaGuardia here in New York as a private school is all about that life, but like those are far few in between. Meanwhile, half the fucking kids going through every standard high school skew the way, by the way, most of us in this room right now are from a film and like, yep. like yep. we're just so impractical and that's all fine, but this debt thing drives me yep. crazy yep. because people are fucking choked and then they have to take jobs they don't like, we get the depression, unhappiness, people are staying in jobs they don't like because they got a big debt behind them, They're 90% of people aren't even doing what they went to college for right. and now here comes all the comments on social, I know if you're a lawyer and a doctor, good, let's keep that, go to school for that, you're right, I don't want a doctor who never went to school <laughs> working on me, you're absolutely right, I don't want a lawyer defending me who's from the streets. You're right. The problem is there's like six of those things. Yep. Right. Everything what about everybody else? Right, exactly. And so I'm passionate about education because I was so educated 14 to 18. I was just getting D's and F's in school. Right. But I memorized everything about the wine right. world and right. it was foundational for me in building my family's business. Right. I wasn't just marketing smart and business smart. I knew everything about Chablis. I knew everything about Australian Gruner. I knew I knew so much about Australia and Spain that when Jorge Ordonez and Dan Phillips came on the scene in the late 90s and started to disrupt mm -hmm. Bordeaux and Italy, France, and America, I built Wine Library on the back of Wild Duck Muck and <laughs> on the back of, you know, Muga, High and Tora Muga. Like, yep. I, I was educated. I knew that Riojas were this way. I knew that Robert Parker had a palate that was that way. I was tasting these Spanish wines that felt way overdone. Maybe not my style, but I surely knew they were going to rate sell, well. Exactly. 100%. <laughs> sell them. Right? And so, so th but that took education. That took me reading hundreds of hours of Robert Parker to know that he overskewed. It took me hundreds of hours of education of tasting wine to understand what was a fruit forward wine versus one that wasn't. It took me hundreds of hours of consuming the Wine Spectator chat, Mark Squire's board. Like I was getting yeah. educated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Long before I'm, there was Wine Berserkers, there was Mark Squire's right. board yep. in 1999. I'm, in 95, I'm Prodigy. Right. So oh it's all. it was all education for me. Right. It just wasn't, I wasn't memorizing the, you know, where Saturn was in the order of fucking planets. Yeah, useless facts, right? Like, like yeah, it's I, easy and, to and educate way, when you love what you're studying, way, too. Maybe, maybe for you and I, we're not like 20, but how the fuck are you teaching that when the kid can look it up? The kids are oh so disinterested. We're, we're making them memorize shit that they can look up on their phone literally, in four seconds. Seth Godin said that, too. He's like, are you kidding me? Like, you, like literally, like we had encyclopedias, bro, and we had, like... We had to look right through. when the internet first came out. I'm like, wait a minute. My first, well, I didn't go to the library in my entire academic career, so let me not bullshit. But, but like for my friends, I'm like, you know, there's this thing called Dogpile and Yahoo. Those were the search engines I knew back then. I was like, you don't have to go to the library. It's like yeah. just type it into this new computer thing. And people are like, what? I mean, it was profound at yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like the blockchain right now. Everyone's focused on the art yep. and the collectibles. That's minor leagues yeah. to what's going to happen with Web three. Right. Right. That's that's a, that's like information 
1994 when everyone's like, oh, the internet's for information. I'm like, no, no, the internet's gonna change our lives. Right. Same well. now. Collectible and, and art, which I love those things, so it's fun, but they're just tiny percentages of what's really gonna happen on the blockchain. It's gonna be infrastructure for every contract, for every ticket you use to a sporting event. It will be utility with a hint of collectability and art, not art and collectibles with a hint of utility. And when that flip happens over the next decade, the consumer NFT, the consumer blockchain is gonna profoundly change our lives. Um, you know, it's a good point to take a quick break and then we'll come back because I wanna get into some more of the marketing and, and the Web 3.0 stuff. So we'll be right back in a second, everybody. All right, are you ready for another great distributor to look for when shopping for fine wines and spirits? Let me tell you about Independence Wine and Spirits, or IWS. IWS is one of the hot, up-and-coming distributors of fine wines and spirits headquartered in New York City. Like Taub Family Selections, IWS is owned by the Taub family, who have re-entered the New York wholesale market, bringing the family back to its roots in distribution, where they held court from 1951 through 2004. IWS is proud to represent an exceptional portfolio of high-quality, terroir-centric, and historic producers from around the world, including Italy and France, where they have an exciting roster of burgeoning Vinrolins from Burgundy that are coming your way soon. They also have domestic producers such as La Coya, Cardinale, Staglin, El Molino, and many more. To learn more about IWS, go to independencewine.com. Okay, we're back. So... Yeah, you were starting to get on. Uh, you, you're about to get on a roll. Um, and, you know, um, one of the things for me when I, you know, I like I said, I heard your name. You were always working like Anthony Austin was the Skernick rep for that yes, area back in yes. the day. And he put he was putting together these tastings. Like, I invited Gary. Sunday, Gary was not there. Gary was working, studying. Yeah. Um, but uh, I was living in California. It must have been like 08 or something. And I was on Rich Schifrin's list. Yes. And I and I and he's putting out this video, and I see you fucking on stage speaking at this internet marketing. Thing. I'm like, holy shit, that's Gary from the Wine Library. How did you get into that world, the tech world? How did that happen? Man? Rich sent me an email and said, "Do you want to talk about internet marketing?" <laughs> and I was like, "Okay." And he was like, "It was a cold email." Wow. Yeah, because I started making, you know, I was making these wine videos, and then for five years, as you know, and I was prolific. Yeah. February '06 is when I started. June 11 is when I ended, that's five years, a little more. Think about this, I only did it five days a week. So there's about 250 episodes you could quote unquote film. Five years, I put out a thousand episodes. So literally at four out of every five weekdays, for five straight years, I put out 20, 30 minute videos on wine. But you know, after doing it so much, there was other things on my mind. Okay. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna make some videos about these other things I'm seeing, the business part of me, because mm -hmm. that's more of how I think of myself than even a wine guy, mm -hmm. even though the wine thing was a real part of me. So I started making a couple videos, they really hit, and I got a cold email from Rich, and he said, do you want to come and speak at this event? And I'm like, okay. And then he, I said, literally, I'm like, sure. And then he replied, what's your fee? <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't Rich, it was a guy that worked for him. I said, right. oh shit, I can get paid. I was like, can we do a call? So we get on a call. This is an amazing story. And he and they go, "All right, Gary, like, you know, what, you know, hey, we'll take care of your flights." I was pumped. I was like, "Oh, crap. I don't have to pay to fly down there." And I'll never forget. It. it was in Florida. And he goes, he goes, "What's your fee?" And I was like, "Jesus." And so like, I'm a businessman. So I'm like, "All right, I'm going to throw out a humongous number and we can always go down." Yeah. 
So I'm like, $5,000, right? And he goes, okay, great. And, and, and he said it so fast. He said it so fast that I was like, fuck. I undersold. <laughs> and he goes, and he goes, all right, it's five. He goes, he goes, great, done. I'm like, fuck. He goes, all right, so to recap, $5,000 for a one hour keynote. I'm like, oh, oh, oh. It's my brain. I'm like, no, no, no. I thought you meant a 30 minute talk. I'm like, for an hour talk, it's $10,000. He goes, okay, no problem. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> So that's how my career started, and I spoke down there, and yeah, I guess you saw that. Yeah, that's saw, super yeah, funny. Yeah, it's crazy. And then, like, from that, I was just like, that's when I started following on Twitter. Like, And so you are a guy who, um, and you talk a lot in your videos, and I think a lot of people, you really are honest in your videos with everybody. Um, not everybody is an entrepreneur. Like, no. You, 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 and you can make a lot of money by working for an entrepreneur. T- are you kidding me? There's a, you know, do you know what the number two at Amazon all those years oh, made? Yeah. <laughs> Or the seven or the 39, if you attach yourself to a great organization, and by the way, I've been doing a much better job in the last three years with my content. I also don't deem success as the money. Uh, Absolutely. You know, like, of course it's a part of it. You can't, you gotta pay some bills. But, you know, if you get into a culture that you like the people and you're happy and you're making enough of a living and you live within your means of that living, that's the other part that we don't talk enough about. Mm -hmm. I know people that make $318,000 a year that are broke. Mm -hmm. Because if you spend Mm $400,000 or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. with tax, you know, the point made, if you're spending more than you get bring home, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. And so there's people that I know that make way less than $100,000 a year that are very happy because they're incredibly thoughtful about how they spend their money. Um, But to me, life when you think about success is a game of money slash, which is secondary, I don't even wanna start with, I'll start again. Do you wake up and are you actually like okay slash, you know, to me it's like most people are like I was with school. Most people wake up and are unhappy that they have to go to work. Yep. They live for Friday. Yep. Which is a problem. Yep. Cause we work a lot. Yep. Like we just do. Yep. Like it is what it is. People work a lot of percentage of life. So A, can I just get it to be like, decent and then you push it upstream and you're like can you wake up and be pumped Mm -hmm. if you wake up and be pumped this is why entrepreneurship is so awesome or i think entrepreneurs and artists are the same i really do i think artistry i think entrepreneurship is an art when it's a pure game of entrepreneurship so can you wake up and be happy and i keep it straight because i'm hoping that it will make somebody think something different and, and you know People love to make fun of me for this, but like, I I think people don't understand how long they live. Yeah, you say it all the time. You're like, you're like, to the kid, you're like, you're 25. People don't realize. I look back now, and I'm like, damn, I was a kid. Like, I even see right. pictures of yourself, how young you are. And you were stressed. Yeah. You thought you were a grown man exactly. at 25. I did. Yep. I thought yep. I was a grown man yep. at 25. Yep. But, but logically, I've always had a very good relationship with time. Of course, something tragic can happen, and you can lose your life. We've been affected at Vayner very recently with something terrible. It can happen. Of course, it can happen. It is far more likely for everybody who's listening right now that you will live to 85, 90, 95, 100, 105. And for if you're under 30 on this call, I don't, I'm so pissed I'm not under 30. <laughs> with the way science is going, oh, yeah. Yeah, 160, yeah. 130, yeah. like numbers that are bonkers. So, you know, I just, I don't know why you have to have your life figured out. And honestly, it's harder on women. 
you know, a lot of my content, I try to like subtly get to the ladies out there because they they have, you know, societal pressures of like marriage and kids and like guilt if they want to have like. I mean, I feel incredibly compassionate to women that are alphas and want to do things outside of raising kids. I feel, I got another one, one that's not talked about at all. Do you know how many men I'm starting to talk to in DMs who want to be stay-at-home dads, who believe in their heart that their goal in life, that they were brought on this earth Mm -hmm. to be a stay-at-home dad, but the stigma is enormous. Mm -hmm. So these stigmas, and and I'm just like, fuck stigma. Like, fuck it. Because no 90-year-old I met is thrilled that they listen to everybody else. Right. None. Right. All of their unhappiness or regrets are, I shouldn't have listened to my mom. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have listened to society. I shouldn't have listened to my ex-husband. I shouldn't have listened to, you know, the, the magazines, the TV. And so I'm trying to put out content that allows someone to stop because I have a communication style that does that. You know, it helps people learn about different wines back to bringing it into the moment here, the way I communicate, seven out of 10 people are gonna stop. Three of them are not gonna love me so much, maybe two and a (laughs) half, because I'm a little too Jersey, a little too alpha, a little too aggressive, and I'm empathetic to that. But for those 5.5 people, I've got a shot in one sentence to do something that positively impacts them, and I'm not gonna not try. I've been gifted that, I feel it's a sense of responsibility, and I'm gonna do the best I can. Um, you just said empathy. Let's talk about why empathy is so important. You actually had a wine company called Empathy Wines. Empathy Wines was a great everything for me. Here's why. Both of the partners I had in that business started as interns for me in the wine business. Oh, wow. Nate Schroeder, my partner in the business, was an intern from Arizona State at Wine Library in 2007. Wow. Or 2008. John Troutman volunteered to give out CDs at the Boston Wine Expo that had seven of my favorite episodes of Wine Library TV. I wanted to do a tchotchke giveaway at the table I had. He volunteered, I said that I'm coming to Boston. He lived up there, he volunteered, he gave away CDs. Kristen Murphy, who's at 750 ML here in the city, like worked at Wine Library for five years. The two volunteers both worked for me for a long time, John, then worked at, both of them worked from wine, so he worked with me as an intern for Corked. I bought a wine social network. Okay. Do you remember Cork, C-O-R-K-D? It was like, I bought it, it was big in the web world, it okay. wasn't big in the wine world, yeah, which okay. is why you probably exactly. don't recall. Yeah. He interned for it, I very quickly realized I don't wanna build a wine social network, so mm. he, I said, hey, come and work at VaynerMedia. Uh, Nate was such a great intern, I said, hey, come and work at VaynerMedia. So they both worked for me. Nate was my assistant for three years. John worked in the company. John was so in love with wine, he left for a year and worked at Domain Select, Mm -hmm. the distributor. He then came back to VaynerMedia, and then both of them were part of my office of the CEO. I decided to build a team that were were my chief of staff. I had four of them, Maribel Laras, now executive at Sasha. Marcus is still my actual chief of staff. But John and Nate, I realized I didn't need four, even though I thought I did. They were crossing too many paths, and I said, you know what, it's time to start a brand. And those two guys went from interns to my business partners on Empathy. When it came time to naming it, I knew that I would push it. I knew that I wanted people out there, and I had this vision. I said, you know, if we're a winery, how do we bring the most value to the farmers mm. and the most value to, cause I knew we were gonna be buying fruit. Mm-hmm. I was like, let us sit in the middle, bring the most value to the farmers 
and the most value to the consumer because we're gonna have empathy for both sides and empathy has been a driving force in my life. I think empathy is the reason I'm a good salesman. If you can feel the other person, mm-hmm. well then you also know how to sell them something. Mm-hmm. You can Obviously you can be <laughs> compassionate, but you also know how to communicate to them. And I think it's a powerful word. It was fun when I put it out there. It was kind of an underrated word. It obviously exploded in culture after, not because of us, I think it just, be, the world got into a political climate that that word had to emerge mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to be a connection point to maybe building a bridge of getting back together. For example, if I was to start a wine brand today, I would call it purple. Okay. Because I think America right now is so red and blue. Ah, uh, I get and it. And everybody's digging into being yep. red and blue. Yep. When in reality, everybody, everybody has purple. Mm-hmm. People won't say it now because the temperature is hot, yep. but there's not a single person walking in this country that doesn't have a point of view of the other political party in them. Right, right now, people are 100%. changing, people are changing yeah. their minds to be all blue right. or all red, right. but it's not true. Right. It's just not true. It's not how humans think. Right. And, I, and now, like, I'm very, like, if you look at my content the last six months, all my hearts are purple. Like, I'm very much thinking about this purple. And by the way, it's how I think about wine. To bring it back to wine a little bit, <laughs> the the era that wine has had the last decade, I think, has been more purple. We we went through twenty years of way too over the top, right? Or wines that stayed too classic, right. And didn't deliver on. Yep. And I think we're more purple than ever. Mm-hmm. Where I think people are, aka, balance. Yeah. And I think the wines of the last decade are dramatically more balanced in every part of the world. You still have your fruit bombs, you still have your old school OGs, but a lot of people have come to the middle and I think that's why we're producing some of the best wine ever. Not only science advancements, I believe that the touch of winemakers today is more balanced than it's been in a long time. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I think uh, as we, we talked back, you know, like Dan Phillips, Grateful Palate, all that shit amazing wines but like now out of australia you're seeing wines are coming in at 14 natural alcohol not over extracted you know uh 14.5 is a big shiraz these days you know um and they were 16.2 i know 15.9 on the label right because they do have a little exactly what he's saying for everybody who is undereducated because i know i'm going to send a lot of gary v's fans here and they won't know when it says the alcohol level, each country has a little bit of flex room, whether right. it's 0.5% or 1%. So always assume that they're yeah. always playing depending on what side of the pendulum yeah, they are. Yeah, um, yeah. so um, thanks for point. And normally I say, oh, you know, people might not know that, so that's really cool. So let's talk about, let's talking about wine, a convergence of wine and tech, um, the NFTs. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that, uh, you know, you work with Constellation. Yes. Um, you sold empathy to them, but they just they did a Mandavi yes. NFT, and you were a consultant on that. Yes. So, what what do you see as the potential between those two worlds? Um, like I said, of, the, of the blockchain, not you know, beyond think, that. I think the let me give you a prediction of what's about to happen to the super premium wine world, the Christie's, Sackey's auctions, the Morel stuff, like the Uber stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, the stuff that Harmon Skernick drinks Monday yeah. through Sunday. Big shout, shout out, out Harmon. Shout out Harmon. I had to get you in there. I, I thought know. I would do a Jets reference, but I think we're both just so sad about that. So I figured, I'd, <laughs> you know, so, you know, what's going on there is the following. Here's my prediction. So StockX. If you know what StockX is, if everybody's listening, um, if you're into the sneaker game or you're a hype beast, you send in your sneakers, they sit there. And then when you buy it, they do the fulfillment, unlike eBay. Mm. eBay, you the mm-hmm. human do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. With StockX, you send it there, they do it. They they verify that it's real, great model, 
big company. I think that NFTs are gonna, for the physical goods, are gonna bring the next version. Let me explain. I believe there will be companies that are built over the next decade that will take in all the premium wines, 85 Sesakaya, 85 Latash, 82 Margot, 45 Lafitte, like take in the wines, temperature controlled, mm-hmm. and when they, when you and I send them a six liter of you know, you know, 80, 70 Vega, they issue an NFT that represents the bottle. Mm. They hold it, you now have the NFT. That NFT now sits in the public blockchain. You don't have to list it on eBay. You don't have to list it on OpenSea. It's listed. It's a. It's on the blockchain. Of course, that company will have a front-facing OpenSea or what have you, but it's gonna be everywhere because that's how the blockchain works. It shows up on every platform that wants to show it. What ends up happening next is pretty wild. Jason, over here who's filming right now, becomes a wine collector mm-hmm. and he wants a 70 Vega 6 liter. He Googles it, it shows up as an NFT, he buys it. Or he doesn't buy it because you didn't list it, but unlike eBay where you have to actively list it on the blockchain, it's there. Mm -hmm. So he comes and makes you an offer. An offer you can't refuse. (laughs) You buy it, You, you say yes. You instantly get that Ethereum, you get the money. So you've set, people are not gonna have their physical goods on them. Just like the Mm. most expensive art in the world sits in Morocco ports for tax reasons in temperature controlled, if a fire breaks out, the the way the warehouse works is it shuts down all the oxygen. Like, I believe the greatest wines in the world are destined over the next 25 years to be sitting in third party facilities, world-class facilities that issue NFTs and then the NFT is the tradable asset. So Jason buys the six liter of Vega. Jason now owns this, but Jason says, you know what? I thought I was gonna do a 10 year wedding anniversary for my wife and need the six liter because her favorite wine's Vega and she's from Spain and that's But actually we changed our mind. Jason, I'm giving you your whole future life. (laughs) By the way, if you're buying six liters of Vega 70, you've done 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 well, you've done really well. (laughs) Um, Exactly. now he changes his mind because she said she doesn't want to party. They want to go to Turks and Caicos for the week. So now he's like, fuck, I don't need this. So he doesn't take possession of the bottle. He doesn't press the buttons on the website to have it delivered to him. He just keeps it on a blockchain. Six months later, you come along and buy it. What's going to happen is we're going to have efficiency. So every wine is going to have an NFT issued by the people that are actually physically holding it. It can trade left and right just like a stock. Mm-hmm. But the 19th person might want the 1990, right, Chateau Hopriand to drink and they'll just have to take it, prove that they own it, click a button, that's what the blockchain does, type in their address and that bottle of 1990 Hopriand's coming. But it's been traded 16 times since I sent it there and everybody's making a royalty on every transaction in the future. The NFT ecosystem against physical goods in warehouses, just like warehouses are now filled with servers, I believe many abandoned malls and and warehouses and downtown Cleveland and Mm. downtown, right, Cincinnati are gonna be converted to state-of-the-art warehouses that take the most expensive shit in the world, so there'll be a lot of security and all that, (laughs) and will become fulfillment centers for blockchain trading around physical goods. In the same way that nobody could have believed eBay. In the same way nobody could have believed Uber. In this city, my brother AJ took the first Uber in New York City. What? The first one, yep. 
There's an email in my office. That's crazy. Our, our friend Travis came here. He's like, Gary, can you take the first Uber? I think it'd be cool. I'm like, I have a meeting. AJ, you want to take it? <laughs> Big mistake. Because I'm so pissed I can't flex that. I know, right? Um, anyway, I remember talking to Travis, and I was like, you know, I understand San Francisco. I understand Chicago. I'm like, do you think Uber will work here? And, he's, and honestly, he was like, he's like, I think so, that's why we're doing it. And then a day in, he's like, yes. And what I didn't understand is convenience or the perceived value of saving time, because right. you might not be able to hail a cab, right. was gonna work. Right. I don't think most people listening right now are like able to fully, and I'm empathetic to this, say Gary's right. But I'm telling you, in the next 30, 40 years, the evolution of eBay is you're gonna, Fill out a form. Somebody's going to come to your house in a truck. They're going to load up all the shit you don't want. They're going to send it to a Mercantile Exchange. You're going to get an NFT, and people are going to be trading left. It's coming. It's too obvious. And I think for wine specifically, for everybody who's listening who's a real nerd, wine bid, auctions, this is going to be revolutionary for you. Yeah. And it's going to solve a lot of provenance problems. And and it's going to benefit like a, a small Burgundian producer who sells it. You know, to the, the wholesaler, wholesaler flips it's al- it. It's also going to help people. Like, if this existed when I was a kid, I would have traded Burgundy NFTs. Right. Oh, my God. Because don't forget, if you buy the actual physical bottle, you could put a contract on the NFT that says you make a percentage of every future mm-hmm. sale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So owning the physical is leverage. All of a sudden, the shove, sure, I might have sold it for 400 bucks, but if I put a 1% royalty, when you sell it for 600 bucks, I get another check mm-hmm. and another check. And another, ch- so there's just a lot, a lot coming. That's, uh, that's incredible, man. Uh, thanks for breaking it down like that. Um, you know, in addition to um, your talks for young people, um, you also tell people like who are in their 40s, like it's never to, in their 50s, even like you're 60, so what? Like, if you're 60, you're likely living for 30 more years. 25, that should be really solid. Like, I don't think, you know, we all get stuck with what we grew up with. I don't think most people that are 42 understand the advancements in medicine, in the, in food. We're all in better shape and younger. We just are. It's just the way the world is. I mean, I'm 46. I'm the coolest and most in shape I am in my whole life. <laughs> like, it makes no sense. Yeah. Like, it's just the way it is. People are eating cleaner. The people are being more thoughtful. Humans didn't exercise in 1989. There was nobody going to Jack LaLanne. Nobody was watching Richard Simmons. Like it was a very niche thing. Right. Everybody's got some sort of health regimen. Modern medicine's crazy. They're mapping the genome. So they're attacking one disease at a time. I mean, some of the stuff that's going on is like, listen, I'm a bad science student and science doesn't really, like history gets me excited. Science doesn't. But I'm, but I'm very observant and I'm very intuitive and I'm just watching my science nerd friends and I can feel it. I can feel it in the air that like, honestly what I feel is like, shit, I think I just missed living forever. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like kids that are being born tomorrow right. might like really pull it off. Right. Um, and now they're talking about the brain is active to 300 and I'm like, I'm, I don't know if you ever saw Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles but that like brain characters like yeah. a little like, <laughs> like I don't need this body. <laughs> I'm, I'll give up my body in a minute. I'll be a robot, just as long as it's still me, like I'm thinking and my feelings. Can you imagine Gary V as a robot? But y'all? honestly, I think, I think I mean, I really am talking about some weird shit and I, I think like one day people will watch this and be like, that human knew. Like, like I think the brain can be, like there's a lot going on in a way that I think people, 
people don't understand that the world's always evolving. Like right. they always think it stopped in their right. life. Like right. people right. live to their, in 1880 you lived to 40. Right, if 40. you were lucky. 40 was the average life expectancy, yep. Yep. right? Yep. So like a lot happens in 100 years. Like a lot. Right. And so, you know, 100 years ago, what are we in 20, 100 years ago, no television. No television. Let's, no television. And so I don't think people are good at history. They don't get it. Right. Like, like, like people didn't fly on planes. Right. Like people are confused. Like how about for, you and I lived our entire childhood without the internet. Yep. Sure did. Yep. <laughs> you graduated know. high school. Yep. Me, I graduated high school and never spent one second on something called the internet. Yep. So I think people are bad at stuff like that. And so, you know, I think I'm excited about the future. So when I see people that are 52 and 49 and 47 and there's unhappiness, there's, you know what it is. Fuck, it's over. Yep. All those, you know, they have that moment, whatever it is, their 50th birthday, a divorce, uh, a bad day at work. It could be anything that triggers the fuck. This is it. I'm like, fuck, I fucked up. Like all those dreams I had, it's over. Look at me. I've got responsibilities. I've yeah, And then, you know, more, more with age comes more worry, right? Your kids, mm -hmm. older kids are bigger headaches than little kids. Um, things start to happen. You lose a parent. A fr you know, I, I just had some atrocious news come along, not just from my company where we had a passing, but a childhood best friend is is in hospice. It's over. Like it's mm -hmm. like, you know, you start, this is what happens when you get to, 30, 40, 50, yeah. 60, 70. Yeah. But I I take the counterpoint of the of the coin. I take the head side. I'm like, yes, comma, you're 46. You'll probably live another 46 years, probably, by the way. And what are you gonna do about it? Because I promise you, if you start dwelling that it's fucked up or over or not as good as I wanted it to be at 30, 40, 50, you're really making a huge mistake because you have a lot of life left. And even like, again, there's a lot of memes about me now doing this, like Gary rolls up on a 93 year old and says, what are you doing? You've got seven more years. Left. But like, but like, I kind of believe it. I think people don't have exposure. Yeah. I don't think people have spent time with 80, 90 year olds that still are living. Yep. I don't think people yep. know a lot of people that are 84 yep. that are like hungry and trying to change the world and do yep. shit. There's people having fun in retirement homes. There's people that don't need to go to retirement homes that are 90 that are doing shit. Like right. it doesn't have to be as over as you think. Right. And I think if you believe that, it gets interesting. For example, if you're listening right now because you're into wine, but you're an accountant, you're a stay-at-home parent, like you can open your little wine shop in Boca Raton or in Scarsdale, Arizona, or San Diego, because I know you old fuckers love to go warm, <laughs> so that's why I'm bringing all those up. Like, why can't you open a small little, instead of like, you know, what are you doing with your life savings, right? Like, why not open a small little wine bar right, right, and go right. in three days a week and yep. find a manager? Like, you can do shit with your life is basically my point. Yeah, and speaking of doing shit, you're a big do shit with your life type uh, guy. <laughs> um, you also have a uh, no. You're you're going back to your roots, kind of like you have a new hospitality group. Yes, um, two of my great friends, David Rodolitz, who uh, who was the operator of Empion, okay. the amazing Mexican restaurant in New York City, uh, and Chef Josh Capon, who's very well known, always on TV, a real loud, over the top dude, one of the few people's on earth that kind of makes me look normalized with my energy. <laughs> Um, we put together a group with uh, Chef Connor, who's also an incredible operator from the Carmelini group, and we are starting a hospitality group, and so we decided that over COVID, just friends getting together, and then the NFT thing started happening, and, and then I started really getting educated, and I'm like, guys, 
I think we can do the Soho House, the Zero Bond, these great iconic places. I think we can do membership on NFT. Mm. Instead of paying your dues like a country club or at these places, you buy an NFT and it's an asset. We had a lot of people who bought them for 3,000 bucks who've now flipped them for, we're a year away from opening. Wow. But it's their asset. And so I think you'll see private clubs, membership clubs, theater groups, like everybody will, I think the clubization of a lot of things is about to come because the NFT infrastructure is gonna do it. No different than a lot of things happen in our society. I'll compare it to dating. The internet changed dating forever, right? Like like back to something that people didn't see in 1994. Pretty, I mean, I can't, I'd love to see how many people met their spouse that meet this year in 2022, oh. met their spouse digitally. Oh, yeah, it's staggering. The old fashioned way is gone, gone. That's the yeah. that's the weird way. Yeah, wait, you met in real life? I know, what? Like, what is that? You talk to a stranger it's, in a bar, what yeah, like that's unheard of. Yeah, <laughs> so so that's where we're at, and I think that's going to happen in in uh in hospitality. In a big way, because there's really no reason not to. There's, you know, think about what hospitality does. If you have an NFT that represents that you get a drink at the bar for free comped, you get a table anytime you really want one. Mm-hmm. You, you know, like what, you know, like you'll be able to NFT that. Like you won't even like operationally for a big restaurant group. This is gonna be great instead of texting each other and databases and remembering off the top of your head and all the things restaurant groups have to do. Well, what about you just give the person an NFT and then in a year or two, there's gonna be NFT readers and you'll know who that, it's just gonna be, it's infrastructure. The internet created apps, were built on top of it, and all of a sudden you had a whole ecosystem of changing dating. I think NFTs are gonna change what is, how we perceive going to a restaurant, going to a sporting event, going on a night out, going to Coachella, going on an airline, like the mundane things of going, going to, like, by the way, I would go to, I love Broadway. I would go four more times a year if my NFT gave me backroom access to meet the actors and have dinner with them. Now that's hard, logistically hard. That's like lists and manager. But if if the next, you know, um, Book of Mormon from day one says, here's how you get the Book of Mormon. Here are the tickets. They're all on the blockchain. There's 8,000 like this, if you have it, you're one of the 8,000, obviously the theater doesn't hold it, but you're the only one that can RSVP. When open things happen every week for the following week, you're the only people that can connect, and once you come, you can't connect, it's management. And then more importantly, what if there's 10 golden Book of Mormon tickets, these are the ones that give you the front row, and you get to go behind, meet the actors, get some selfies, and what if there's one platinum one, which is this is the one of one from all the NFTs of Book of Mormon, you get the front row, you get the selfies in back, but, when we RSVP with you, when you connect your wallet and prove that you own the platinum one, you also get to have dinner with the cast. Yeah, that's awesome. Of course, that's going to happen. Yeah. Well, Gary, man, I know you are like I just like <laughs> super busy. We're just so glad we got any fucking time with you, man. Thank you, my man. Really appreciate you, bro. Um, tell everybody where they can find you. How can be a part of what you're doing, man? I'm the easiest person to find. <laughs> I'm not even going to have to say anything. I just want to. I just want to say thank you. Keep going. I think this show's important. Uh, for the wine culture. I know we went very business and mindset out. I hope we snuck a little bit of wine in. Well, I think people. it was good for people to hear this, man. I think so, too. And I think yeah. we snuck a little wine in yep, there for the, exactly. for the nerds. All right, everybody. Yeah. Until the next time, cheers to the Mavericks, philosophers, deep thinkers, and wine drinkers. We know Gary Vee checks all those boxes. It's your boy, MJ. Peace. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. 
please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list. 